Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, where we take a Catholic academic look at the scriptures and we try to give you the tools to understand what Jesus really meant when he said particular words and I guess what the gospel authors meant as well. We're continuing today in the Gospel of Matthew and we're looking at Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 to 42. So here's today's reading if you go to Mass. Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. Anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow in my footsteps is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and those who welcome me welcome the one who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet will have a prophet's reward, and anyone who welcomes a holy man will have a holy man's reward. If anyone gives so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, then I tell you solemnly, he will most certainly not lose his reward. So there's a lot of interesting sayings here from Jesus, and the context here is really important. If we don't talk about the context, then we might completely misinterpret uh, these phrases of Jesus here. So Jesus has just been speaking to his apostles about discipleship and the suffering they will face in the coming years. Just prior to this in chapter 10, he said to them, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have come to not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So that famous passage is what Jesus has just said about family divisions. What we're about to see here is a series of phrases from Jesus. It could be that Matthew has assembled different teachings of Jesus that he said at different times, but since they're all about discipleship, maybe he put them together in this sermon. Or maybe he Jesus did actually say all these things as part of the same sermon, which would make sense because they're all about the same thing. And in that case, Jesus is clearly because he repeats these uh, phrases in other times, it would just mean that Jesus teaches these things on more than one occasion, which of course makes sense too. Verse 37, Jesus instructed the 12. So as I often say on this podcast, the audience here is really important. Jesus is speaking specifically to the 12 apostles. These words are not necessarily for all Christians. In fact, they're probably not. So he says to the twelve, anyone who prefers father or mother to me. Now, more literally there, it says he who loves father or mother more than me. But in fact, prefer is actually a good translation, I think, because in that culture, to love someone basically meant to show favor towards someone. So the lectionary has it as prefer. And I think that that's actually a good way of thinking about it. It's not love as in fluffy feelings. It's show favor towards. So Jesus basically says, anyone who shows more favor to his parents than to me is not worthy of me. That's the teaching here. And those are quite strong words. Jesus here teaches that if someone is to be his disciple, and in particular, he's talking about his apostles, they must serve him above all other people, including even family bonds. 
Now, that would be huge in that culture because in first century Israel, they had a massive emphasis on family bonds. But Jesus said the allegiance to him goes even far beyond that. So Jesus is not dismissing family bonds or parental obligations. There's other places where he actually really emphasizes that they must be upheld. But here he is saying there's an even more important allegiance, which is to Jesus himself. He then says, anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. It's the same basic meaning. So you cannot prefer anyone in your family to me is what he says to the apostles. Why is he saying this? Well, Jesus knows that in the coming years, the family members of many of the apostles will try to lead the apostles away from the faith. Many of the apostles' families wouldn't be Christian. In fact, some of them would try to convince the apostles to leave the faith. So this is a warning to the apostles. You must not prefer your family over me, particularly if they try and uh, turn the apostles away from the faith. Jesus here says that any apostle who gives in to the pressure from their family and abandons Jesus is no longer a disciple. That's the teaching. Verse 38, Jesus now says something similar, but with a different metaphor. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow in my footsteps is not worthy of me. This is the first mention of the word cross in Matthew's gospel. It would have been quite a familiar image to the people in Jesus' time. Take his cross. Jesus is not necessarily thinking of his own crucifixion at this point. He's just talking about crucifixion in general. He says, anyone who does not take his cross... The Jews at the time saw crucifixions all the time. The Romans Romans crucified Jews fairly commonly. And we need to keep in mind that it was such a brutal, shameful death. So often we'll hear this phrase that, oh, you need to endure your job, even though it's a difficult job, you need to take up your cross. Probably that's not the intention here. Jesus is talking about extreme suffering and extremely shameful suffering. That's what crucifixion was. So when Jesus here says anyone who does not take his cross, probably here it means in context to anyone who does not make sacrifices for the faith, which would include enduring shame and maybe even death. Now that would make sense given that the sermon is about the coming persecutions that the apostles will face and many of them did have real shameful things happen to them, including death. So Jesus is talking about real death and real persecution here. That's what he has in view. And he also says, anyone who who does not follow in my footsteps. So Jesus here knows that he's going to experience suffering and death. And he's basically saying to his apostles, you need to be willing to follow that same thing, suffering and death. That was a real possibility that the apostles had to face. Many of them did, in fact, endure death for the faith. Matthew is probably including all this because he knows his readers will also be facing similar persecution. And he's sort of including it so that his readers know his instructions he gave to the apostles. And to a certain extent, they apply to other Christians in the first century as well. Verse 39, Jesus now says, anyone who finds his life will lose it. Now, there's a couple of different interpretations of this because the word for life is psyche, and that can mean soul. So Jesus here is essentially saying anyone who finds his soul will lose it. What does it mean to find your soul? There's two possible interpretations. This could be a warning against denying Jesus at the point of death, as in uh, someone who chooses to retain their own physical life rather than... um, 
continuing to follow Jesus. So in that case, the teaching is one must be willing to give up his life, and particularly the apostles, his physical life. And that would make sense in context. The other meaning, though, of finding your life or finding your soul, it could be a general warning against worldliness and self-protection. Jesus is saying, don't try to pursue your own self-attachment because that attachment to selfish worldly things is only going to lead to eternal death. I think the first interpretation is best here. Jesus probably means anyone who protects his own physical life um, at the expense of losing his faith, well, then he will lose uh, eternal life. He will not make it into heaven. So Jesus is calling his apostles to give a radical abandonment to him, even being willing to give up. The, The apostles need to be willing to give up their own life. And many of them did have to do that. Jesus finishes this part by saying, anyone who loses his life for my sake, and this is probably referring to martyrdom, anyone who says, I will not recant my faith in Jesus and who gets killed as a result, they will find life according to Jesus. So, and that teaching there is if you're martyred for the faith, you will inherit eternal life. This is a teaching for the apostles in particular. We need to keep that in mind. Though, of course, there is some degree of application to today as well. Many scholars point out that Jesus' demands here, they might not seem that radical to us because we've heard these words so many times, but to the original hearers, this is radical. Jesus is demanding an even more radical allegiance than a military general would. He's asking for allegiance to himself rather than just to a cause. So the main point Jesus is communicating to the apostles is the radical demands of following him. He says to them, look, it's not going to be easy. But if you're willing to persevere to the end, you will inherit eternal life. He then shifts slightly to talk about people who welcome them. So other people in first century Israel who welcome the apostles. He says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. This is a clear teaching that the apostles are being sent on Jesus' behalf. Jesus says that how people respond to the apostles and their preaching counts as a response to Jesus himself. That's how intimately linked the apostles' mission is to Jesus' mission. Sometimes you'll hear Christians say that Jesus preached one gospel, whereas the apostles preached something a little different. That's not the case. uh, The apostles are continuing Jesus' own preaching. So Jesus is encouraging the apostles here. He's telling them to go with confidence because they have his same authority and purpose. Now, Luke's version also adds this, the reverse of this. So Luke's version says, whoever rejects you rejects me. And that's in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. This whole phrase has quite significant implications for Catholics because it probably does imply, and in fact, theologians have used this verse in support of the Catholic teaching that we need to be obedient to the magisterium. The apostles represented Christ and the bishops as successors to the apostles in a way also represent Christ. So when they teach things, when they speak on behalf of Christ, we need to listen. Jesus goes on to say, and those who welcome me, welcome the one who sent me. So not only are, the, uh, are people welcoming Jesus if they welcome the apostles, they are in fact also welcoming the father. That's a huge claim. Think about it. Jesus is claiming here to be kind of like the perfect envoy or perfect messenger of the Father. Jesus is teaching that a response to him, and in fact a response to the apostles, 
constitutes a response to the Father. That's how closely linked this apostolic mission is. Jesus is the perfect apostle, the perfect representative of the Father, and the apostles are the representatives of Jesus. This whole theme of Jesus being the apostle of the Father is unpacked more in the Gospel of John. So Jesus here actually uses words that are quite similar to things that um, are recorded in, in the Gospel of John. Verse 41, this somewhat strange phrase, anyone who welcomes a prophet will have a prophet's reward, and anyone who welcomes a holy man will have a holy man's reward. So Jesus is teaching that those who welcome the apostles, and that probably means welcome them into their homes to show hospitality towards the apostles in the coming years, will receive a great reward in heaven. In fact, Jesus says they'll receive a reward that's equivalent to the reward of the prophet himself. Notice how much emphasis Jesus is putting on the apostolic ministry in the first century. He then goes on in verse 42, If anyone gives so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, then I tell you solemnly, he will most certainly not lose his reward. So let's get this. Jesus is teaching that the apostles' mission, which they do in the book of Acts and beyond, in preaching the kingdom of God is so important that anyone who cooperates with it, even in a small way, whether that's welcoming the apostle into their home or even just giving the one of the apostles a cup of water, will be rewarded. That's how much emphasis Jesus places on this apostolic mission in the first century. Anyone who helps them will be rewarded. Notice that's the same basic teaching as the parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember in the parable of the sheep and the goats, anyone who treats the brethren of the Lord well uh, gets into heaven, and anyone who does not treat the brethren of the Lord well, it's considered as... Um, treating Jesus not well. Notice the same themes here. And as a result, if they don't treat the apostles well, or the, sorry, the brothers in the parable of the sheep and the goats, then they will not get into heaven. And there's a question in the parable of the sheep and the goats, which we'll look at about who are the brethren of Jesus. One proposal, which makes sense in context, is that the brethren of Jesus are the apostles. So it's a teaching about how people who respond to the apostles in the first century what their eternal fate will be. Now, notice this phrase here, anyone who gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. Sometimes Jesus uses little ones to mean children, but here he means those who are young in the faith, and in particular, he's thinking of the apostles. Notice the language here, anyone who helps the apostles or gives them a cup of cold water will not lose his reward. That might imply that it's possible for someone in the kingdom to lose their rewards. That could mean salvation, but it could also mean, and this is part of Catholic teaching as well, that people can lose their degrees of glory in heaven. So there will be rankings in heaven. Uh, people get rewards in heaven based on the good works they've done in this life. So many interesting teachings today, and we've gone over it pretty briefly, actually, but each of these themes is unpacked a little more at other places in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, this passage is well worth meditating on in terms of how important Jesus sees the apostolic ministry. Let's now turn to the Catechism to see what it has to say about this passage. Paragraph 2232 is about family. It says, Family ties are important, but not absolute. Just as the child grows to maturity and human and spiritual autonomy, 
so his unique vocation, which comes from God, asserts itself more clearly and forcefully. Parents should respect this call and encourage their children to follow it. They must be convinced that the first vocation of the Christian is to follow Jesus. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So notice the quote there from Matthew chapter 10, which informs the Catholic teaching that parents need to be particularly careful to raise their child in the faith, but also to make sure that the child understands that they need to submit to God uh, rather than uh, as a priority over the parents. And they should encourage their children to follow the call uh, to God. Paragraph 1506 says Christ invites his disciples to follow him by taking up their cross in their turn. And then this is developed more in paragraph 858, which is about the apostles' mission. Jesus is the Father's emissary. From the beginning of his ministry, he called to him those whom he desired, and he appointed twelve, whom he named apostles, to be with him, and he sent out to preach. From then on, they would be his emissaries, Greek apostoloi. In them, Christ continues his own apostolic mission. As the Father sent me, even so I send you. The apostles' ministry is the continuation of his mission, Jesus said to the twelve, He who receives you receives me. Often we forget about this aspect of things, but there it is very clearly in the Catechism. The Apostles' ministry in the book of Acts is a direct continuation of Jesus' own mission because Jesus himself was the Apostle of the Father. So that's really cool when we think about it in those terms. Hopefully you've learned something new. There is so much richness in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm sure you'll agree that it's well worth uh, unpacking in this way. Thanks for listening. Please tune in again once again tomorrow.